Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Welcome to the Christmas season. It is the season of celebration and the season of ice storms and uh, power outages. You should have been here the first service. It was pretty exciting. We lost the power. And we had to call all the people in the back. Could you come forward? Because there's no way I can he- you could hear me from back there. So um, you're at the, the, the better service. Okay. No. no, it's a very important time of the year, isn't it, this Christmas season? I think it's only second, by the way, to Easter. Because Easter took what the, the Christmas event put in motion. And then it changed everything for the entire world. See, a baby was born in the shadow of a tree. A Savior had come to rescue mankind from the penalty of sin. No wonder we call it the season of celebration. No wonder we say he really is the reason uh, for the season. And today also marks the first day of Advent. If you are a little unfamiliar with that term, Advent, Advent is the season observed by a lot of Christian churches around the world. It is a, um, as a time of expectant um, waiting and preparation for the birth of the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ and also for the celebration and waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are visiting here today, we do want to offer you a very warm welcome. So glad to have you here, that you would share part of your weekend with us. And of course, we want to say a shout out to those who are joining us uh, online from wherever you may be watching uh, this morning. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Hope has a name. And if there was ever a time in all of history, it seems that 2019 is in need of hope. Hope is as important as water is to a fish. It's as vital as electricity is to a light bulb. It's as essential as oxygen is for humans. Hope is that basic to life. See, without hope, without a spark of hope, we're doomed for just kind of a, a dark existence. How often have you maybe read a newspaper or, or listening to the radio to the afternoon news or, or watching the evening news and they use the word hopeless? And if they don't use that exact word, you read between the lines and you see just despair. They take away our hope and you are reduced to something between depression and despair. The psalmist wrote, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Another translation put it this way. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. Another translation puts it this way. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix your eyes on God. Who is your hope? Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. In God. Psalm 71.5 says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are the source of my confidence. Hey, have you ever read a, a verse in the Bible that you have read multiple times before, but this time you read it and it just popped off the page for you? You know, um, maybe because it's the season of life that you're going through. And so you read this Bible verse and you relate to it differently. You, you, maybe you understand it better. 
Well, I, I came across a verse like that this week. Um, I was reading a little bit about uh, the Bible character Job. Probably most of you would be familiar with him. And as I was reading through that, I thought, how does a man like that survive? Like, where does he get his motivation to get up in the morning? How does he even start a new day? Because he's not only a story of riches to rags. I mean, he had everything. He really was living what you, many would call the American dream. And then he has nothing. And I mean nothing. It's, I mean, it's one thing to lose your wealth. I, you know, that can be devastating. But along with all of his wealth, he, he also loses his health. But even that... It's not that bad when you compare it to the next loss. See, he stood by the grave of his children. And I know some of you have experienced that. The deep anguish and grief when you stand at the grave of your child or maybe your grandchild. That grief is, was deep. And Job stood at the graves of 10 of his children. In fact, all 10 died the same day. I, I don't even, I can't even imagine that kind of pain or that kind of deep grief. Job, how did you get up in the next morning when you've lost everything? And then I came across this verse, Job 8:13. Those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. What happens when a culture forgets God? I read something this week that uh, Rick Warren had written, and, and it struck a chord with me. Let me read it to you. This is what happens when a culture forgets God. Wealth is idolized. Truth is minimalized. Slife is trivialized, abortion is legalized, television is vulgarized, advertising is sensualized, and everything is sexualized and commercialized. Our conscience have become desensitized. Education is secularized. Free markets are monopolized. Races are polarized. Politicians are popularized. Morals and ethics are liberalized. Sports are scandalized. Entertainment crime is sensationalized. Immorality is popularized. Drugs are legitimized. Sin is glamorized. Courts are paralyzed. The break of the family is rationalized. Manners are uncivilized. Christians are demonized. And God is marginalized. That's what happens when a culture forgets God. And when you forget God, there is no hope. In fact, maybe the best sermon you could preach yourself this week is put your hope in God. You might have to repeat that a few times this week. You know, life gets a little tough. No, put my hope in God. Put my hope in God. Now, I recognize that you and I we're very different. I mean, we think differently. We, we act differently. And um, we don't have the same tastes in clothes. We, we have different tastes in, in the food that we eat and, and the books that we read and the cars that we drive and, and the music that we enjoy. 
Our, our backgrounds are different. Our goals are different. Our motivations are different. Um, we enjoy different sports. We root for different teams. We like different hobbies. We read different magazines. Uh, we differ on our politics. We have our own strong opinions on, on raising uh, children or education or Halloween or Christmas trees. Our, our weight is different. The color of our eyes are different. The color of our hair is different. The color of our skin is different. There's a lot of differences, but I'm telling you there's one thing we have in common. We all know what it means to hurt. See, suffering is a universal language. Tears are the same for Jews and Muslims and Christians and Brazilians and Romanians and Asians and Africans and Europeans and for Canadians and for children and for adults. Because see, when life hurts, dreams begin to fade and, and heartache is real. We may express our suffering in different ways, but we all know what pain feels like. I remember... When I was in Bible school, one of our professors was quoting uh, a great preacher from yesteryears, uh, Joseph Parker. And Joseph Parker was speaking to a, a room full of young, ambitious, inspiring preachers. And he said this, I quote, Preach to the suffering and you'll never lack a congregation because there's a broken heart in every pew. And that has been true since the beginning of time. So let me ask you a question. Where's your hope? Like, where's your hope? Where is your hope? Well, Donald, before I can answer that question, what do you mean uh, by hope? What is hope? I mean, because we talk a lot about faith around here. Can you have faith without hope? I don't think you can. I think the two are together. Let me tell you what hope is not. Hope is not optimism. It's not the same thing. Uh, one preacher said, hope is theological, optimism is psychological. See, optimism is telling yourself uh, things aren't, uh, aren't great, or, or things are great even though you know down deep in your heart they're not great. It, it's like singing that song from, from Annie, right? The sun will come out tomorrow, tomorrow, even though you know the forecast is 10 days of rain. Man, I bet your bottom dollar it's going to come out. You see, with optimism, it's not always based on reality. It, it's false hope. It's convincing yourself something is true, though in your heart you know it's not. I mean, optimism is not a bad thing. I mean, I'd much rather hang around people who are optimistic than, than pessimistic. But optimism says, it's not that bad. It, it could be worse. Hope says, oh no, it really is bad, but God is working for my good. Optimism often denies the reality around us. And the Bible talks about three kinds of, of, of hope. It, there's wishful hope, there's expectant hope, and then there's this certain hope. Well, what is wishful hope? Um, this is what wishful hope would be. If someone came up to me and said, I just got two tickets to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm going to give them to you at no cost. Okay, that's wishful hope, because I know it's never going to happen. Okay. 
And then I got these two tickets. I get in my car. I'm driving to Toronto to watch the big game. I'm so excited. And then all of a sudden, there's this traffic jam, and, and I know I'm going to be late. Wishful hope would be, oh, I hope they lose power at their hockey rink tonight that will delay the game, right? I mean, you have no control, but that's a wishful hope. I wish, I hope that the power goes off. I hope that the next 50 set of lights are all green so I can get there. That's wishful hope. It doesn't change anything, but yet it's the kind of hope most people have. It doesn't work, and you cannot build your life on it. That's wishful hope. Then there's this expectant hope. I mean, that, this is based on reality. You know, I, I plant seeds, and we hope that a plant comes. Like, for, for instance, at the beginning of summer, I, I planted tomato plants. I, I planted um, cucumber seeds and zucchini seeds and you know, green pepper seeds and pumpkin seeds and squash seeds. And there's this expectancy, like there's some reality. I put the seeds in the ground. I'm going to expect, right, that I will uh, grow something. When women are pregnant, we often say they're expecting uh, because a baby is growing inside of her. But expectant hope does not always come true. Because I planted seeds in the ground, and yes, I got tomato plants, and yes, I got green peppers, and I, I got zucchini and cucumbers, but I didn't get nothing when it came to squash or pumpkin. Not even one thing. But I did the same thing. I planted the seed. I was expecting something. Nothing. As some of you know the experience of a miscarriage. I mean, you had this expectant hope because there was a baby growing inside, and then then that hope was lost because of a miscarriage. That's expectant hope. But then there is this certain hope. Certain hope is an anchor for your soul. It's not a feeling or an expectant hope. It's knowing for certain something is going to happen. Um, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, faith is the assurance or the confidence of the things that we have not seen. Like, we haven't even seen it, but we are so confident that it will happen. Faith and hope go together. You can't have faith without hope. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, you, you may remember reading that, where it says, and now by these things, faith, hope, and love. We know a lot about faith. We hear a lot about love, but we don't know as much about hope. Hebrews 6.19, which was read earlier, of the certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for the soul. See, there's no reservation inside of me. There's no, no place in my mind that doubts that one day I will spend eternity with Christ in, in heaven. I'd never doubt that. It is a certain hope based on what God has said. See, I, I realize some people can go weeks without food, you know, days without water, uh, minutes without air, but you can't go five seconds without hope. Hope is that basic to life. You have to have hope to live. I looked up the word anchor. What, what does anchor 
what is that in the definition of the dictionary? And it said to keep the ship, the ship from drifting and keep it keep stability in the storm. All of us are constantly drifting in life. And that's what you need that anchor that holds you from drifting. Uh, this spring, I remember we were, uh, I was down visiting my sister in Florida, and we went out fishing on the boat, and, and uh, they, they cast the anchor down. I was like, why you cast, why shouldn't we just be floating along here? No, because this is where the fish is. We want the boat to stay here, because this is where all the action is happening. If we just allow the boat to fl- float down this river here, we won't catch anything. And I was thinking, that's true in life, isn't it? tendency to, to drift. See, the anchor of your soul cannot be wealth or fame or fortune or, or, or your health or good marriage or a great career or awesome kids. That can be hope for your soul. Hope is a confident expectation. And so let me ask you a question. What are you expecting God to do? In your life. Hope is not psychological. It is a theological expression. Job 8.13. Remember what it says. Those who forget God. Have no hope. I don't know if you've ever experienced this maybe in your Christian walk. You know like there are times you know you just feel like man you're so close with God. But sometimes you drift. You just kind of drift and maybe go through the motions and before long you sense that the, this hope that you once had doesn't seem as strong. Yet it seems though the closer your relationship with God is the more hope that is infused inside of you. I really do believe that the closer you are to God the more hope that you have. But the farther away you get, I think your hope begins to wane. And I realize that some people are always looking to put hope in something that's greater than them. And so some people say, well, I'm going to put all my hope in politics. That will solve the problem. But our hope is not in a man or woman who lives at 24 Sussex Drive. And it doesn't Our hope is not in the man or woman who's going to inhabit the White House. Our hope is in a baby who was born in a manger, who lived among us, died on the cross for our sins. That is who our hope is anchored in. And so when storms come, and they do come, but when storms come, typically people go looking for hope, but they don't go looking to God. Sometimes, you know, people are dealing with such deep pain, they're looking for a little bit of hope. You know where they look? The bottom of a bottle. That will give them some hope. Some will look for some pills. That will give me some hope. Uh, Some will go on a vacation. Some will have an affair. Thinking, oh, maybe there's hope there. I'm saying you need hope that will anchor your soul. Real hope is based on on God's word, not my wishes. It's not based on my sense that something is going to happen, but it's based on what God has said. It's not based on my emotion, but what God has spoken. 
It's not based on my imagination, but God's obligation to do what he said. See, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, God can do anything. No, that's not true. God cannot do anything because everything because he cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot go against his character. And so because I know God can't lie, I can put my confidence in this, what the Bible has to say. If you read all through Hebrews chapter 6, which we made reference to earlier, you, you, when you're reading through that, you, you recognize, you know, that things come into our life and God uses it to kind of help mold and shape us. And oftentimes there's a, a timeline. It doesn't always happen that things get fixed in our life like that. You ever notice that people who do not believe in Jesus use his name a lot more than we do? When life is over, and the reality is, it will be for all of us one day. I don't, we don't really like to talk about it, but when life is over, what are you putting your hope in? When you find yourself breathing your last breath on this earth, what are you putting your hope in? See, and I know this is true. Many of you have talked to people like this. I've talked to scores of people like this. There's a lot of people putting their hope in that they've they lived a, a pretty good life. Like, I, I really have. I've lived a good life. I've been faithful to my spouse. I, I've raised the great children. I, you know, I, I didn't cheat on my taxes. I, I've, I've invested in the community. I, I, I've given to the poor. Like, I've lived a good life, which is where I usually have a follow-up question with, compared to what? You lived a good life compared to what? Compared to your neighbor, maybe, who's abusive to his family? Like, compared to that? Like, what do you compare yourself to? I lived a good life compared to God? See, the scary part is not, see, not that God will judge us for our wickedness, but the Bible says he sees our righteousness <laughs> as filthy rags. It's our goodness that falls short of the glory of God. We're not talking about our wickedness. It's our goodness that falls way short of the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Would you just quickly uh, flip over to, to Zechariah? Zechariah, it's in the Old Testament. It's, it's two books back from the beginning of the New Testament Maybe a little challenging to find there, but Zechariah um, chapter 9. Chapter 9, I want to read this. Uh, I read that this week, and, and again, there was this, this phrase that, I don't know, it just popped out at me that I hadn't noticed before. It's, uh, so if you have your, Zechariah chapter 9, and I want to pick it up, the story from verse 9. Zechariah 9, starting at verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter of daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hey, this, what is he talking about? He thought it was somebody's coming. Now this is predicted 700 years before Jesus was to come. 
Let's continue. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. I will return you to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. That phrase, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. A prisoner of hope. Now, Zechariah, if you remember, uh, he's writing, he's addressing uh, the group of people who have come back from Babylon. Uh, some of us know that story, you know, where Nebuchadnezzar goes to Israel and, and Judah and he just ramsacks the place. He tears down the temple, he destroys the temple, and he takes a remnant back to Babylon. He's going to disperse all the Jewish people. Well, now 70 years have passed, and they're allowed to go back. The first remnant is allowed to go back to Israel. And of course they go with all these expectations and some of them had never been there because they had been raised in Babylon, but they had been told what it would be like if they could go back to, the, to their land, to, to the country of their forefathers. And so they, they've come back and Zechariah is addressing them and these people are so discouraged, they're demoralized. They're, they look at the lot of their life and, and there's no hope to accomplishing what they were hoping to accomplish. They were depressed. The things of life were too large to cope with. They started out with all these high hopes when they returned from Persia back to their home. But now it hasn't worked out like they planned. They were not mentally prepared for what they were going to face when they got back there. The devastation, the rubble was more than they had ever imagined. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life. Life is more than I can cope with. I had these hopes, I had these dreams, but they haven't turned out the way I thought. I had plans for my life. And it didn't turn out how I thought. Well, that's the people that have come back to the land. They're just overwhelmed with the mess of everything. And they thought they were going to be able to do something. I mean, this is like, I think, 20 years back into the land. They've been working at trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And as I said, many of them, it would be the first time that they had come back. I, I, I have a picture of here. The temple, it would have been like, uh, would dominate the skyline. Right there, you see the, the Dome of the Rock. Um, which is a mosque. That, that's actually on the Temple Mound. That's, that's where the temple would have been built. And, and compared to the Dome of the Rock, which is a big mosque, the temple is almost five times the size of that. It dominated the skyline. And so they're coming back, and it has been destroyed throughout the years. It had been ransacked but, and defiled, but never destroyed. It was completely destroyed when Babylon came in. And they've come back and, they're, and they want to rebuild the walls. I think the next picture shows, we were just, a group of us were just there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at, we, we refer to it as the Wailing Wall, the, the Western Wall. And they've come back because they want to rebuild the walls around the city, the walls around the temple. And, and uh, you, you've seen the pictures and stories where, you know, where the Jews go to that wall and, and they pray. 
And the reason they go to that wall and they lay hands on that wall is because that's the wall, that's the closest they can get to where the temple was. Because right above on that hill where there's the dome of the rock, that's where the temple used to be. So they're praying. In fact, that back wall, that western wall, is the closest to the holy of holies that would have been in the, in the temple. And so that's why they go and they go and they pray there. Well, they've come to rebuild the walls. To remember the glory days. And now life doesn't seem to be what they thought. They're discouraged. Life hasn't turned out the way we thought. And hope is beginning to disappear for these people. And Zechariah comes along and encourages them that the Lord will come and he'll encamp in the house that they are building and, and, and reminds them to rejoice because there is a king that is coming. A rescuer, a deliverer is actually on his way. Salvation was coming but lowly sitting on a donkey. You notice the, the, the phrase there uh, about free you as, from a prisoner from a waterless pit. I mean, when we think of prisoners, we often think of prisons and, and, and um, doors and bars, and that's not the kind of prisons they had. And this particular day and age, prisons were like holes in the ground, sometimes abandoned wells. They would just throw somebody to the bottom of the pit Sometimes they put a rock over it and just, I'm done. Sometimes families may come by and lower down some water or some food, but it was a hopeless situation when you're in the pit, a waterless pit, nothing to drink, nothing to survive on. I love that term when he says, I'll rescue those who are in the waterless pit, and you can become a prisoner of hope. I'll take you from a pit of no hope, and I'll make you a prisoner of hope. And that's what Zechariah is telling the people. Be encouraged, he says. The book of Zechariah contains the clearest and the largest number of, of messianic passages from the minor prophets. Um, in that respect, it's possible to think of the book of Zechariah as a mini version of the book of Isaiah. Because Zechariah paints this picture of Christ's first coming, and he also paints this picture of what it's going to be like when he comes the second time. And Jesus will come, and according to Zechariah, as a savior and a judge, and ultimately as the righteous king ruling his people from Jerusalem. In fact, the name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. How appropriate for the prophecies of his book. His book overflows with the hope that God will remember his promise to his people, even after they have spent time, years, and generations outside the land. I think of that for us, too, that God is faithful to his promises, even when we have spent our time, sometimes years of our life, so far from God. But there's hope. But for those who forget God, there's no hope. The book of Zechariah serves as a correction for this tendency that we have in our lives. See, we have a hope that is sure. How refreshing. See, it's so easy to get caught up. Is it not easy to get caught up when the day-to-day -day 
things of life and, and get discouraged and, and depressed and feeling like there's no hope. Zachariah knows this is true in us. He knows that we tend to drift and he reminds us that we can be prisoners of hope, rescued from a waterless pit, a hopeless pit. Now I realize as, as the people have gone back to the area that they had dreamt they had been praying for generations that one day they could return and they do return but there was so little evidence of the kind of spiritual renewal that the early prophets had anticipated. Jewish sovereignty had not been restored. The moral um, Reformation of the people had not occurred. Jerusalem was still partially rebuilt. and They had no significance among the surrounding nations. Under circum, uh, certain circumstances, many people can conclude it that these were the small days. The days of small things. In which they had come to the conclusion in which God was absent and maybe viewed faithful obedience as useless. It seemed to make more sense to forget God and pursue the best life possible. And Zechariah reminds them, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I know right now it doesn't look good. And yeah, and life is hard, and it hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out. But I want to tell you, you can put your hope in God. Because he is going to send someone who will deliver us and rescue us from our sin so that we can be a prisoner of hope. Listen, those who forget God, we're told, have no hope. And we're celebrating in this season the hope that hope came into the world. And his name is Jesus. And we'll be talking a lot about that in the month of December. But Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the light of the world. He's the savior of the world. He's the redeemer of the world. He is the Messiah of the world. He is the God of this world. He, he's the love for this world. He was born in a manger for this world. He lived among us and engaged this world. He, he's a debt eliminator for the world. He forgives the sins of the world. He loves the people of the world. He died for the world. He conquered death for the world. He, he has sovereignty over the world. He offers life to the world and he's preparing an eternal home for this world. That's the hope of the world. That's our hope. It's a certain hope. It's not a wishful hope. It's not an expectant hope. It is a certain hope that can only be found, by the way, in Jesus Christ. This is why we can proclaim to the top of our lungs, Jesus is the hope of the world. Let me tell you, hope does have a name. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Now, Father, I just have to say thank you. Thank you for sending us someone who would be the hope of the world, Jesus. Lord, this season, we are celebrating the birth 
of a Savior. Lord, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate what was accomplished in the death of a Savior. But Lord, in the quietness of these few moments, I don't know everyone's situation. I don't know what people are dealing with. I'm sure there are people here right now have some deep scars, some deep wounds, are going through some very painful experiences in their life. And maybe they're even contemplating, is there any use following you, God? Maybe I should just pursue the best life that I can live. Lord, in these moments, remind them that those who forget God have no hope. Lord, in these moments, help us to do some self-examination. Help us to try to figure out what is our hope in? And is it a wishful hope? Is it an expectant hope? Or is it a certain hope that we can build our lives on, that can be an anchor to our souls? And so, Lord, there's no better season than this Christmas season to recognize who you are. And for those who do not know Christ in a personal way, maybe they know lots of things about you, know some things from history, but they have not personally experienced what it is to be in a relationship with you. And God, we pray you'd open their eyes to see their, their need of you. And then even in these moments, they would cry out to you and, and just say, God, I, I know you love me. I know you proved it to me that you sent your son to die for my sins. And God, I I'm sorry for my sins. And God, would you come in my life? Forgive me of my sins. And God, would you give me a fresh new start in December of 2019? I want to end this year with hope that I can build my life on. And so Lord, for those who may be in in these moments, I pray that they would pray such a prayer like that. They would cry out to you. And then, Lord, of course, maybe there's a believer here today who knows you as a personal Savior, but life has not turned out the way they thought. They had all these plans, but life hasn't turned that way. And so maybe here this morning, they're just discouraged. God, would you remind them like how only you can. May they feel just your loving arms wrapped around them and that you'll walk with them through the disappointment sometimes of life that we have. Lord, it's not that we're calling for help, but help us to recognize you actually walk with us side by side through these storms. And so Lord, for those hearts who just need to be encouraged, remind us that when we forget God, we, there is no hope. So encourage our hearts today, we pray. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.